On today's next phase with Steve Key, many of the clients I work with absolutely fret over the thought of speaking in public. Now, these are smart, intellectual people who, in my mind, they miss some opportunities. It's funny because no matter where I've worked, I tend to be the one that gets pushed up on the stage in front of the groups, and I'm the one that ends up talking. Now, maybe it's a gift because at a very young age, I was a bit of a ham. So I had no trouble with this, but a lot of people do. Today, Sean Tyler Foley, a consultant, instructor, a keynote presenter for 10 years. He's an author of a number one best-selling book, The Power to Speak Naked. And God knows, if I'm speaking, you don't want to see me naked. Now, regardless of the industry or the titles he's held, he tries to encourage people to be heard and understood. And connecting with an audience, which I find is a, a bit of a gift. And it's it's a, an opportunity where you can become real and really get your point across. Now, he even has an impressive uh, acting resume. And I'm so pleased that he joins me from Calgary today. Uh, Tyler, welcome to the podcast. Oh, Steve, it's a pleasure to be here. And I'm, I'm looking forward to this conversation from, you know, one beautiful voice to another. It's, it's always fun to have a good trained conversation. Let's let's see where we can take this and, and, and see if we can help some people, because there are a lot of those introverts that are scared to death of speaking. Are we natural performers or is this a learned behavior in, in, in sort of your experience? Uh, so I it depends. I, you know, and I've often debated nature over nurture. I I was born a performer. Um, you know, I, it was as similar to you where I, it was one of those things where I was always a bit of a ham. I was always somebody who wanted to entertain when we would have people over to the house. I always wanted to put on the magic show or the play or the sing or, or play the piano. I was, I was always of that, uh, showman type style. Ironically, I would consider myself to be an introvert. And I think a lot of people, confuse introvert and extrovert they think that an extrovert is somebody who is up on stage and that's extroversion to me it's one of the greatest expressions of introversion because i recharge being on my own and that's really a true sign of an introvert where do you gain your most energy for me i gain my energy being in a quiet place on my own reading a book doing my own study having time to my own thoughts an extrovert gains uh, energy from a crowd. And so for me, being on stage, particularly when I'm giving a keynote presentation, especially in a large auditorium, where I'm the only one on stage, and the lights make it so you can't see the audience very well, I feel the most at home because there's an energy that I do get from that. But it's also uh, an internalized energy where I know that I get to, to do it from my own side. Mm-hmm. And so I think to answer the question, there is learned patterns that can help you be a performer. And there are people who are just naturally gifted it. And I think it depends on your exposure to things like stage and performance that will either encourage or hinder it. Um, so there are people who, who are not do, are not performers in their DNA, but are phenomenal speakers because they've learned how to do it. 
There's also people who are incredible, incredible performers who are not good speakers, but are are still incredible uh, on stage performing if they're given somebody else's material to, to deliver. It's it's funny you you talk about personally being a bit of an introvert and then almost being able to pull it together and to do all of that. I feel that that's me. People think I'm the life of the party. That I'm the guy that's going to you know put the lampshade on and dance on the table. I can play that role, uh, but it's not it. I always remember sitting around the dinner table with my parents when they were alive, and my father would say you know, you're in broadcasting, you you do all of this, and yet you just kind of grunt around here. And I say, well, I, I take a lot in. And I always think we have two ears and we have one mouth. And, and I like to, to read a room and I like to read a situation. But I also feel that there's a need to step up when I have to. And maybe that's the difference is that you can be on call to do it when you have to. And you can be effective. But let's talk about that audience. You talked a little bit about feeding off the audience. Uh, I've, t- I've taught. I've, I've been on the air. I've, uh, I, I've, I do presentations. I, I'm constantly selling myself through a number of different opportunities. You know, at, 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 at what point does that all come together? Like, wh- you know, how, how, are we, how are we able to really sell ourselves? Well, I think the first part is to know who you are, right? It's hard to sell yourself if you think you are a Ferrari and you are, in fact, a Jetta. <laughs> and I think there and there's a, and the thing is, is there is a market for the Jetta, a very large market for the Jetta. There's lots of people who buy them and there actually isn't as many people who buy the Ferrari. You know, everybody wants to be this high performance car and they, they try to put on this persona of the big V10 engine and, you know, zero to 60 in 2.2 seconds. What really helps sell yourself is knowing who you are intrinsically and doing that deep dive into who am I? And then from that, discover your stories that are the most impactful to help other people. How can I guide? How can I teach? How can I instruct based on my life of who I am really? You know, if I'm a Volkswagen bug, I am very economical on gas and I'm a great commuter car, but I'm not, I'm not going to get you on the Daytona 500, right? So what are your strengths and how can you help carry and shuttle those people the way that you were designed to do? And for me, it's recognizing who you are and having the power to be vulnerable with that. You don't have, like, I'm not Tony Robbins. You know, I'm not speaking daily to six, seven, 10, 20, 30,000 people. But I have 35 years of film and television behind me. I know how to tell a compelling story, I know how to do it using someone else's words but I also know how to do it using my words. So for me, I'm not, I'm not trying to be on those big stages and don't get me wrong. I love them. I love them. And when I get the opportunity to have them, I take them in, but I'm not, I'm not training people to do that. I'm training people to be comfortable in a boardroom. How do you stand up and make your messaging heard here? And the key to that 
is for people to really truly understand who they are, what their core values are, what their messaging is, and why their messaging is that way so that they can tell it the most compelling, most effective way possible. You, you talk about the the compelling story and and maybe people feel that their lives aren't exciting. I mean, I draw back on all sorts of opportunities from the time I was young till till now. I will bring in the dog, bring in the family, try to relate to somebody. So if I'm in front of a group, I'm never going to get lost behind a PowerPoint presentation. But I find that that's the world that we often live is that people are comfortable with their notes, with their with their their messaging and their PowerPoint behind them. And it, it is such a lost art to be able to talk to people almost one at a time. Yeah. Well, and so the problem is, is, is one of those three is, is killing presentations. And you and I both know which one it is. I, and it's made by Microsoft. <laughs> and not that Bill Gates did anything wrong in creating a tool that allowed for to take over the slide projector. Because I think that's what people forget. That PowerPoint was a tool that was designed for computers and a and a computer projector to take over a a photographic projector when you had to prepare a slide. And what was on that slide deck when it was in a carousel and an analog device was pictures. So there's nothing wrong with the PowerPoint. The problem is, is it has what you had alluded to become a tool for people to read a script without having to read it from a podium. And that is what is destroying it because a PowerPoint can be effective if you're using it to augment the story that you're telling or stories that you're telling. But the real way to get comfortable on stage and the real way to get messaging across to your audience, as you're well aware, is to tell those personal stories because you don't need notes to recall that story. It, it, it's a life that you have lived. It's it's there on instant recall, particularly if we look back at what are the most memorable, most significant memories that we have. Whether they're good or bad memories, they all serve a purpose. And those are the best stories to tell, to use, to illustrate a point that you're you're trying to make. And so what we do in a lot of the training sessions that I put on is have people break their life into into five even time periods. So it doesn't matter how old you are. We can all divide our age by five and come up with a number. And then you just look at each one of those time periods and say, what is my most significant memory? And write them down and then say, why is that significant? And then it's in that why that we discover the lessons. And there's usually multiple in why that memory is significant to us. And that's when we start creating this toolbox of stories that we can use to illustrate points at any given time. And that's when you really truly become comfortable because there's nothing wrong with having bullet point notes. In fact, I would encourage it for anybody who wants to get comfortable public speaking because it gives you a framework and a guideline of how to structure that talk. But it's kind of like if I wanted to come visit you right now, I have multiple avenues that I can take to get to you. I could drive straight down the number one highway. But once I cross that Ontario border, am I taking the 401? Am I taking the 404? Like, how am I actually going to get to you? And if one, if a, maybe I don't want to go on a toll road because I don't have the money for it. Maybe I need to go on a back road because you and I both know that the 401 is going to be backed up for forever most of the time. I need to have the freedom and flexibility to do a detour 
on my trip to you. And it's the same when I'm taking an, an audience on a trip, because that's all a presentation is. I'm taking you from destination A to destination B, usually in your mind. If I'm locked in and I have to be on the 401, if I get held up in gridlock or there's an accident, I can't get my my audience to that final destination. And the problem with that is that that's what happens when we memorize a script or when we got get locked into the PowerPoint. So if the computer fails, the projector goes down, or somebody asks a question that isn't in the slide deck, uh, what do I do? And you're frozen because you're stuck on this one highway, where if you just have bullet points and you know what the end destination is, you can always detour. You can decide not to take this road and go down this path instead. And that's how you truly serve your audience. And that's why the power of story is so effective versus having uh, yourself locked into these, these canned presentations. Okay, so we're kind of putting a bit of the, this is how these things tend to go. We're kind of putting you know the cart before the horse because we're now talking about doing a presentation. But another thing that you talk about is the fact that there are people that have stage fright. They're afraid to get up in front of anybody. And I have had so many people over the years to say, oh, I just can't do that. And I can't speak up in the meeting and I can't do anything. Do you have tips for someone to overcome that initial stage fright to even get them to that level to tell a story? Absolutely. So the first thing is stage fright is real. I want to acknowledge that right up front. I'm sure everybody has experienced it at some point in their life. I, too, have experienced stage fright. The difference is, is when I experienced stage fright. I've been on stage since I was six years old. The first time I experienced stage fright, I was 14, which means for eight years, stage was a safe place. It was a comfortable place. It was a fun place. I have positive adjectives to describe the stage for the first eight years of my life. The problem is most people have learned to fear public speaking because of some event in their life, usually early on, that taught them, that gave them the first impression that the stage is something to be afraid of, that there is a moment in your life where you first learned that people looking at you was unsafe. So the first thing to do is to identify when that moment is. And actually before that, I would say that's probably the second or the third step. The first step is actually to identify that you're not afraid to speak in public. That's the first one. And I know there's a whole bunch of people out there right now who are thinking to themselves, but Tyler, I we just acknowledged, you and Steve just said that there are people who are legitimately afraid of speaking in public. And it's actually not what we said. We said stage fright was real. Speaking in public and this fear of speaking in public is a fallacy. So for the people who want to get on to the next phase, Steve, is to recognize that we speak in public daily or society would collapse. True. Anybody who has been to a restaurant and ordered food has spoken in public. And if they didn't know their server, they spoke to a stranger. So this, I'm afraid to speak to strangers, I'm afraid to speak in public, all of that is myth, it's fallacy. What happens is, is we're afraid of public judgment. So the first thing to do is to destroy this myth that you're afraid to speak in public because you're not. The next is to acknowledge that stage fright is real, which it is. 
and understand that stage fright comes from this fear of public judgment. And let's identify the moment in your life where that first became a reality for you. Why were you afraid to speak in public? What was that first initial bit of judgment that you received where speaking in public was a negative thing as opposed to a positive thing? And when we can tackle that, we can free you from this phobia, from this anxiety around public speaking. And that's when you can start to realize that, first of all, you don't need to fear an audience. The audience is on your side. People didn't show up to the podcast today um, and to, you know, they're not tuning into the next phase. Hoping that you and I have a boring conversation, right, Steve? They came here for education. They came here to enhance their day or they wouldn't have tuned in. They wouldn't have downloaded. You wouldn't have listened to this right now on whatever device you're listening to it on. And that's because the audience comes wanting us to deliver. They are on our side. They don't come in going, man, I hope this sucks. They come in going, man, I hope this is good. They want you to succeed. And you wouldn't have been asked to present if you weren't the authority. We don't ask second best. You didn't bring me on to your show, Steve, going, well, you know, Tyler was like fourth on my list right now to discuss this topic. So I'll reach out to him first, right? You reached out to me because I am an authority. My only job now is to claim that authority and deliver something, one piece of advice. And in the last 15 minutes, I'm sure we've dropped three or four that your audience can impart. Mm -hmm. So I have done my job and that's all your audience has to do. If they want to be better public speakers, if they want to get over this fear, understand you're not actually afraid to speak in public. You're afraid of public judgment. You don't need to fear that judgment because the audience is on your side and you are the authority or you wouldn't have been asked to take the stage. And if you can identify that moment in your life where you first discovered that people looking at you was a fearful thing. Now you need to look at the times where people looking at you wasn't a fearful thing. You know, what were the times where you shone in public? Have you received an award or an accolade? Think back to your wedding. You know, how was it getting married to the person that you love and being across from them and being supported by that audience? Like there are all, there are moments in our lives that we can look back on that are positive reinforcements of being in, in the public eye versus negative. And the more we can stack those, the more comfortable we will become. And then the last thing is we gain confidence through competence. And the only way to get competent at doing a thing is to do it over and over and over again. So we tackle the fear initially, then we get you to do it to the point where you do it automatically. And then it becomes like riding a bike and you just do it without thinking. But, you know, I I think it's always healthy uh, to have the butterflies because they can drive you. I remember reading somewhere where Johnny Carson before a Tonight Show would get physically sick. And yet he was the master of, of, of what he did. Often executives that I've worked with over the last number of years spend more time refining their golf game than they do on their communication skills. Uh, and I would think that someone's in the that's in the business of doing this on a regular basis. This is as much a way to help you present and to succeed as your golf game. 
I would say it's it's the more critical skill, <laughs> you know. And I understand how much business gets done on the course, but you know, half the time, one of the great joys is is not beating the opponent that you're trying to play against, <laughs> so that they feel more comfortable doing business with you. But yes, you're right, and and it's like anything else, any skill set, you have to work on it. And you are also correct in that more people will spend time perfecting their swing and getting rid of their slice or their hook than they will being able to effectively communicate to the teams that they're trying to lead. And I would say the one has a far more bigger impact on, on their life. So I would love to, you know, regularly break 90, but I would much rather work on my ability to communicate to people. And, and I felt that way too. I only took up golf this year and that same feeling of stage fright probably translated onto the golf course. I was afraid of going out there and making an absolute fool out of myself. But you know something? When I when I decided that it really didn't matter, I wasn't I was challenging myself, that's when I was able to move move ahead and and well, I don't think I'll break 90 for a while yet, but I'm not embarrassing myself and and you you're right when you say People are coming to hear you. You are the subject matter expert and that this is a way to sort of go in there. One final thing I wanted to, to, to sort of ask, for those who are frequent speakers and we get back to being in front of an audience because this whole Zoom team's world is, is completely different. When you start to feel like you're losing the audience, is there a way to get them back quickly? Oh, yeah. there. I mean, and there's a ton of tricks. I've got uh, two chapters dedicated to it in my book. Uh, but I'll give one really quick one for your audience that they can implement right now. And that is the turn to your friend. <laughs> the, <laughs> the turn to your friend trick is the greatest uh, and my most overused tool in my tool bag. And that is where you ask the audience, if you see that they're starting to drift or they're not, they're not fully engaged with you. Usually what that is, is a sign that you have been talking too long. And that's one of the other fallacies about public speaking. When you're a professional speaker and you're given, say, 45 minutes to present, that somehow you need to speak for that full 45. It is not the case. And in fact, is probably the death nail in your coffin. But if you see that your audience is starting to drift, having them turn to a partner and share one takeaway that they've gotten so far, you know, and I talk about it in my book uh, with, with transition phrases and bringing segments of, of a speech to a close, right? They're broken in and woven into parts and using transition phrases to bring one idea to a close before introducing a new one. One of the quickest ways that will engage your audience alone they're just using a transition phrase. Now I'd like to go on to this. But if you have them turn to a, a partner or a friend and give and share one takeaway, right? What is one thing that you learned in this last segment? What that will do is it'll give you a chance to reset. It gets your audience, it's particularly if you get them to stand up, it gets them moving. It forces them to do an active recall of what was presented. And it has them reinforce your message twice because person A is going to tell person B and then person B is going to tell person A. And so that's two times that your message, whatever your messaging was, is 
reinforced to that that audience. And then if you have, you know, the bubble up or the share, okay, if somebody could, if some brave somebody can just tell me, you know, what was one of the things that your group picked out, then that's a third reinforcement of your message. It allows you to check in to make sure that your message is actually landing the way that you expected it. It allows you to correct any misinformation that people are interpreting and uh, or reinforce that the messaging that they've heard is correct resets you resets them and now everybody's back on the same page and and you can move forward so that's my favorite trick and if anybody wants any more i think we've got 10 or 15 of them packed through the two chapters that are real easy to implement okay so i will put a link to where they can order the book and if people want to contact you where's the best way to go to your website yeah, no, the best place is uh, seantylerfoley.com, S-E-A-N-T-Y-L-E-R-F-O-L-E-Y.com. Sean is spelled the proper Irish way. <laughs> but We all want the proper Irish way. We all want the proper Irish way. But the what I would suggest to Steve is before they even go to my website, as you had pointed out, you're going to have it in the show notes. So that's going to be the easiest way for them to just click it. But if they're already looking on their device at the show notes, I would ask them to just hit pause on this episode that they're listening to right now between you and me, Steve, hit pause on the next phase. If they're getting value out of what I'm saying, if they're getting value out of what you're bringing with each episode, I would ask them to hit pause and give you a five-star review before <laughs> they start checking me out. They're already checking you out. Yeah. And they have a relationship with you. And I think that relationship should be warded because what you're doing is incredible. And you're bringing on some great guests and you're giving great content to your listeners regularly. And so if they're listening to this right now, if they've gotten to the end, if this 20 minutes hasn't bored them, <laughs> I would strongly encourage them to hit pause right now, give you a five-star review, say what episode they liked. You know, call it out. Which one gave them the most value? If it was this one, great. If it's another one, please let Steve know what he's doing right so that he can do more of it and bring more value to you. And after you've done that, you're already in the show notes. Click over to SeanTylerFoley.com and I'd be happy to serve your audience however I can. Great. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for this and uh, continued success along the way. I appreciate it, Steve. We'll talk soon. The next phase with Steve Key Podcast is on all the networks, and uh, I'll put the great show notes uh, together so you have a chance to learn a little bit more about Tyler and the work that he does. I thank you for listening and hope you have a great day.